0: Welcome everyone to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast. And I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi. And alongside me, as always, is Paul Gillieri. Paul, we are joined yet again by I'm gonna call him this
1: The Man with a Plan. The legend.
0: The myth. Stip is in the house. Stip, <laughs> welcome back.
2: Thanks for having me. At what point do I get like a punch card um, if I get enough of these? You, got, what, you
0: get what, a free what, sub on the eighth, on the eighth time. All yeah. right. <laughs> I'll start
2: tracking it. Tell me what kind of hoagie hey, you want. Thank you for having me back. This is always fun.
0: <laughs> well, uh, this week – and oh, uh, before that, uh, get on your social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Follow us there. Continue the conversation and rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your podcast app. Okay. Feed that
1: algorithm. Exactly.
0: Houskeeping out of the way, like an yeah. animal, like the animal that it is. What kind of animal would it be?
1: I don't know. Probably the second track up versus
0: a honey, a honey badger,
1: a honey badger that'll mm-hmm. work. Yeah. A sheep with its face compressed into some wire fence. Ooh, you know,
2: segue me. I used that sheep as a zoom background for uh, a little while this year. Did you really? really? <laughs> I did, uh, with, and without the the pearl gem label up there, so it was just the the sheep yeah. like. Kind of coming at me in the the frame. Like, People didn't like it. No. Yeah, they they, 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 uh, they thought it was a little aggressive for a for a meeting. This
0: yeah. seems a little too harsh for me. Um, I
2: I, eventually, I switched it eventually to the the ten like high five, which okay. I felt a little I felt a little more team oriented. We're
0: we're getting the full on um, professorial step today with the. Step, is, is
1: there something that you need to talk to HR about? At this point? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, I said segue because we are talking verses today. We haven't talked about verses in a while, actually. We had, we had 10 months. We had a mini no-code month. We've been yeah. talking some newer stuff in the last couple of weeks. We did a whole backspacer should it be a thing episode a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I got a nice uh, WhatsApp message a couple of days ago that they thoroughly enjoyed the banter on that episode. Um, so that was fun. A gentleman from Australia chimed in and really enjoyed that. So um, we're talking versus today, and I'm gonna quote Paul here. This was the impetus of this. He's we I asked him, you know, what should this episode be? And he goes, How about this? An introspective discussion into whether Versus is the band's most defining album, one that set them on a path toward enduring integrity and relevance. So that is the the statement to kick this thing off uh everybody listening is aware of how big of an album versus is um as of eight years ago it was certified seven times platinum came out october 19th 1993 uh the band pretty much finished up their long 10 tour in the fall of 92 um i don't think it actually culminate maybe they actually culminate with the um Drop in the park was it the last show of '92? Drop in the park, yeah.
1: I I think that was the finale. Yeah.
0: So uh, they had a little time to kind of regroup for the holidays, for the holidays, and then get right back into things um, at a place called the site just north of San Francisco. And this album happened. Now, I'm just going to ask the question straight to step here: Is it? The band's most defining album, one that set them on a path toward enduring integrity and relevance. Yeah,
2: I, I don't know. Is my unhelpful Onto response? To a great it's it, it, right. it's, a, it's go. a good question. What I think versus, I think we versus. We want the is, punch card back,
1: right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. You, you tell me. I'm just sort of listening. I think versus
2: is the album that sort of trained all of us how to be Pearl Jam fans. And I think in a lot of ways, that's an important part of it. You know, when this, I started listening halfway through 10. So 10 was already a thing. And it's, in a band's first album, you don't know what it is. You don't know what to expect. Um, And versus, you know, it was the, the first time where, you know, I got to hear the single before the album started. I got to put the whole, I got to, you know, play a whole bunch of new tracks from the band. And I was expecting it to be 10-2, um, not knowing what else they were going to be. And so to, you know, have an album that's you know more physically intense than than 10 was, um more uh varied in its styles, you know, to go from something like go or animal that felt familiar to things like daughter or elderly woman or you know, blood or wma, like the the fact that Pearl Jam could be a whole lot of different things. And then to have it all be accepted as as part of the package, I think was a really important moment for the fandom to, you know, recognize that the band is not going to just keep churning out 10 over and over again, and that that's okay. And I think this is also the album probably where Eddie found his authentic Pearl Jam voice. Whereas, you know, 10 is a certain type of performance that doesn't really come back, which is too bad because I love it. But, you know, he sounds great on verses. He moves back and forth between different styles. Uh, you know, there's some some depth and some sophistication to some of the performances that weren't necessarily there on 10, which are getting by entirely just on energy and authenticity. Um, and just given how... Much their catalog is them learning to cram as much variety as possible into what is still ultimately a a pretty consistent framework from album to album. Um, You know the fact that they they did it here and it was so well received. You know it was probably really important. Versus bombs, uh, if the songs don't endure, then I don't know what they do.
0: Well, do you think? Do you think the dynamism on this record, at least compared to ten? Do you think that? having some funk elements having some softer elements um do you think that those those styles on the record succeeding would would you be surprised by that do you think it was a real big risk to try that stuff in 93 or are we do we just kind of take for for granted that they continue their rise with that album
2: I think they made it work. And so it didn't feel risky at the time. Surprising maybe, but but not risky. Like once you wrapped your mind around like, oh, you know, this is funkier than what was there before. Or, oh, here's some acoustic songs now. Whereas you had, you know, Oceans was maybe the closest you got to that on something like, um, something like 10, I guess, footsteps. Um, it all fits so seamlessly together in terms of the mold of what Pearl Jam could be that it never felt, risky like elements of vitology like you know throwing bugs on or stupid mop on an album like that felt risky who you are as a lead single felt risky um this felt like an evolution but it all had a natural progression at the same time that managed to still feel like pearl jim just pearl jim doing something a little different
0: well i mean go was the first single so if they wanted an easy transition that was the most was it it go or was
2: was it animal i'm pretty sure it was go it yeah. might be I, it, associated with animal just because of it, the it wasn't
0: released as a um as a proper single in the US. The only single you, you could get were the imports from Australia and from the UK I and mean, had you know, like alternate versions of other things on there and live cuts of like elderly woman, but you couldn't buy a single of Go. I think I think it was until Animal that you could got you get that. Paul, you posed the question. What do you think?
1: I think we have to be cognizant of the fact that the mix that we heard for 10 is dramatically different than the sound that they presented to That's us. That's one of the in notes in I had here, Rick Crosher
0: versus Brendan O'Brien.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. And, and I think that the, that reverb quality, that atmosphere that we get on songs like garden, um, the, the, the vocal layering and even flow there, there was something about production with 10 that it didn't feel raw But it was great. It it obviously was enduring. But at the same time, it was something that set them apart from a lot of their contemporaries. And I think to some degree, it alienated them, uh, which led to Mm -hmm. a lot of conflicts with some of their peers, namely uh, members of Nirvana. But when you think about Versus as an album that's far looser, there's a fury to it and a muscle to Mm -hmm. the sound that we didn't get that so much with 10, even the, the heavier songs in 10 or on 10 rather, uh, they were still layered with some degree of atmosphere. And, and I think all that gets stripped away with an album like 10. And I think it's, it's it's really important to think about the way they recorded these songs, because Brendan O'Brien was insistent on recording one track at a time. Mm-hmm. And so i mixing mixed, it and mixing it. And, you know, at, at this time, in this era of, of, uh, Album recording, it was very typical for bands to come in, and you would kind of lay down your tracks in various increments, and so you'd have a portion of the recording session dedicated, a dedicated part of me towards the rhythm tracks and laying those down and finalizing those, and then adding in vocals and so on and so on. And Dave was actually quoted as saying that back then, by the time it actually got to the vocals. The drummer was sick of sitting around listening to the same track over and over and over again. So you end up getting burned out on it. So there was there was a level of intensity and fury that versus just hit you in the mouth with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's directly attributed to the fact that they would essentially record one song at a time. And Brendan O'Brien did that intentionally to maintain the intensity of every song. And that really carries through in the presentation of the album. Even softer songs Uh like Daughter, for example, or Elderly Woman, they come at you hard. I mean, there is uh, an assertiveness to Mm. the delivery, to vocal delivery in both tracks. Yeah, That's
0: a good word to use. Um, Speaking of of making things uncomfortable, because as you said, that it wasn't the common way. I actually... that's a smarter way to do it because it keeps you focused on one one thing at a time but um ed uh is notorious for being uncomfortable uh it funny enough contrary to uh dave in many ways but again here how dave loved the site in nicasio uh california and it was it was luxury not luxurious but it it felt like paradise to him where it was it was the complete opposite to ed um he would he would sleep in his truck. He'd drive into San Francisco and find like an alley and just sleep in his truck there. Um, he tried sleeping in the sauna, um, which I think is where he actually stumbled upon the chord progression for elderly woman. Uh, but w- what do we make of, of that dichotomy of some of the guys in the band being okay in this new environment and, and not being okay. And it's the second record and it's the first time they're all kind of working together on something new And it's still kind of the new guy is finding his voice, as step mentioned. like How much do we think that dichotomy affected
1: the recording process? It's big. I mean, we forget the Eddie that we know today, who's so jovial and comfortable around guys like Neil Young, um, other musicians from an era even before him. There's a certain level of comfort within his own skin that Eddie presents now. Mm. Eddie at this time, was very much quite the opposite. He was very sensitive to the way others perceived him, particularly those that he admired. And, and this idea of recording in a site that, that was comfortable, it didn't jibe with the lyrical content mm-hmm. of the album. And, and I think part of the aggression of his delivery was almost a way to overcompensate for that, mm. for better or worse. But I mean, obviously, given the success, I mean, you don't do 950,000 units moved in five days if it's not done well. So Steve, do you agree?
2: Yeah, no, it absolutely. The it's a, a tense album that's really at war with itself. Like it's it's the 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 album cover picture with the sheep is maybe their best album cover in terms of capturing exactly what this album is. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe Riot Act is the only one that does it does it as well. Um you know like the The image of something just throwing itself up against a a fence penned in trying to to get through like in the picture i'm looking at it here like you know the muzzle is is poking out it's you know the the band at war with its sense of self probably at war with with itself and so there's a lot more anger on here than there is on 10 there's a lot more sort of self-righteous aggression but there's also a lack of context to a lot of it it's sort of lashing out without fully knowing what it is it's lashing out at, and it's not a surprise. I think that the um the run of more like political songs that are on the album are among the weaker that are uh, that are on the record because uh, that's not really what the target was like you know this isn't intended to be a social you know commentary album those are some, and the critiques that are there are are fairly surface level. You know, it's, it's not an album about being war with society. It's an album about being at war with, with yourself Um, and. Losing sight of the fact that you're stronger together, um, you know, and feeling isolated and not, you know, having that, you know, that you, you can't maintain the peace and the space that you have when you don't trust what's uh, what's around you and on the, the stronger Songs on the album, the the go through um, daughter run, and then if you throw in like the core tracks at the end, rats always feels a little mis uh, misplaced to me. But rearview mirror, elderly woman, and indifference. You know, you've got this presentation of, um, of of being lost, being angry about it. There's an accusatory tone to all of them. Like you know, some uh, a feeling of of betrayal, regret, and then gradually processing. Uh, you know, in those like epiphanal moments and songs like in uh river mirror and indifference in an elderly woman that you need to find a way to work through that. You need to find a way to make, you know, peace with yourself or peace with the people around you because you, you can't really go on by yourself. You You're just be we, um, throwing yourself against the fence.
0: We made we had a show must've been almost a year ago now called the birth of no talking about pretty much the time right around, uh, right around that singles premiere party when they obviously, you know, flipped out and were drunk as all hell and it was terrible. And and they just started to think, you know what? We are being asked to do all these things. We don't, we don't want to do it. Um, and I, I, whenever I think about this album now, I always think about that as the backdrop to the writing of many of these songs because it happened basically like five to six months before they were recording. And you have to imagine that even though... They made the collective choice to be like it is, us versus them, hence the five against one, hence the verses. But there was still a bit of us against each other. In in, I mean, that's got to be kind of a mind fuck because you think you're 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 on the same page with with your guys, but they're still not the not the level of trust. They've only been around for for three years at that point, not even three years, two and a half years.
2: You know, and I've, this is not something I've I've thought of before but it's interesting that the songs about making making peace and like sort of charting your way forward were all largely the songs that Eddie wrote by himself yeah which uh never occurred to me until now so I don't I don't know what to do with that information um but it does say it does say something that the songs that were written together or that were written collaboratively are the ones that are you know butting up against each other that are at War and struggling with each other that are sort of like all tangled up in something, whether it's being tangled up in yourself, you know, tangled up in, you know, in society. And the ones that, that pull those threads free are, are not the collaborative tracks, even though everybody plays the hell out of their roles on them.
0: Right. Paul, what do you
2: think?
1: Well, I mean, you, you take here case in point, first track, Go, it is a Dave song for all intents and purposes. I mean, it, it, here's a drummer sitting around a campfire doodling on a guitar and they fell in love with the riff and then they added in uh, some lyrics to it and and mike brings in the guitar and you have this intense opener of the track but to Stip's point i mean there, there's a lot of there's something about the conflict within that song glorify g another great example uh, I, I mean everyone's familiar with the the background story of that in terms of of whether how true it is i don't know but the idea that Dave goes out and buys a gun. And in fact, I got to, and Eddie's mocking him and then the song kind of becomes a, a, a satire to a degree of that. But there is something to be said about these songs that capture through collaboration, the frustration and conflict therein. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eddie said um, in regards to the title of the album,
0: they were writing, I guess they being writers were writing all these articles our band against somebody else's band. What the hell are they talking about? You, you know, don't try to separate the powers that be. We're all in this together. Now, obviously that was I think probably just shortly after all this was going down in the recording process that is. But you can tell there there is this like we are we are in this together. It is our unit versus versus this idea of this opposition. But at the same time, they don't they don't have a full um, maybe I don't know if trust is the right word. And I don't know how much the the Dave versus kind of everybody else um, thing is playing into it. But, you know, you take these songs, you take that mindset, you take the the stripped down approach that Brendan um, gave them, uh, that, that raw approach. Was it kind of like perfect timing or could they have always kind of made this work?
1: I mean, it's, I, I don't think that they were prepared to make an album like this. I mean, Eddie would say, or Brendan, I, I should say, Brendan would say that Eddie would get pissed off watching Stone walk up to a recording session in a bathrobe and slippers. I mean, there was just something about that level of comfort. That, that feeling of we've made it, you know, if you think of asking these guys, the question, Hey, when will you know you've arrived? Right. I mean, I'm sure it's a common question to ask mm. people in the entertainment industry. How do you know you've arrived? I can't help but wonder if, if part of Stone's answer involved when I'm walking into mm-hmm. a, a recording session <laughs> with a bathroom, yep. you know? So Eddie would say, I, you know, there, at some point there was a whole segment of the album, just a bunch of songs that had been recorded. They had no lyrics. And Eddie would disappear. He'd drive his truck into San Francisco and just try to, I don't know where he would probably drive down the Tenderloin or something (laughs) and look at some grime and and just the harsh reality of life. And maybe that helped him get into the right headspace. But there was a lot, there was a lot of what I would call obstacles that were strategically placed in the way by the producer in order to try and generate creativity on the part of the band but it was a risky endeavor that very nearly could have led to an implosion. And it, quite frankly, nearly did. Because if you think about it, they lose their drummer in 1994. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So it's, yeah. it's, you, you start to see that this whole process, I think, it, while it did bring out creativity, it also it kind of unearthed a lot of feelings and sentiments that, that maybe some had not been quite as vocal about. And at that point, everything had just been laid bare naked in terms of their feelings about each other their shared experience as a band and where to go moving forward. And, and, you know, yes, they managed to survive and they'll go back and say the way we did this album, particularly not doing any videos for it, by the way, which was even riskier at the time than anything else after the birth of no. Yeah. So I, in a lot of ways, I think that this album is the reason the band is still together, but it's also the album that was the the, the greatest roulette role of their career.
0: More so than no code.
1: Well, I mean... They... <laughs> Go ahead, step.
2: No, I, I think so. By the time no-code rolls around, people are on board with them. Like, if Pearl Jam's going to do something, it's going to be successful. Um, and, you know, maybe they're, they're grappling with their own internal sense of who they want to be and what they want to do, but the space has been given to them to make that choice. Whereas I think there's a... Lesson you're still figuring... Um yeah. There, well there's more room for error, I think, when you're er- at the no code point. Yeah, since, um, there's
1: less room yes. for error in versus. I, 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 I would agree yeah. with you. Yeah, but for sure. I mean, case in point, Better Man was was recorded for versus and they chose to leave it off. They they opted not to include the Sun Versus, but it was included on the very next album. So I think by, by that point in time, they mm-hmm. were not they were no longer suffering from the stigma of, oh God, there better not be a hit on this album. You, well, you, you,
0: know? you alluded okay. you alluded to this paul um the first week of recording they go they go through go blood rats and leash probably the most the most easily bridgeable songs from the 10 mindset before moving into something a little bit different so it's weird but also kind of obvious that if they were going to have any songs kind of ready to go in their back pocket it'd be those four um you'd think that animal will be all right on on the heels of that but to to have to like force yourself into finding something different and stumbling into, you know, Dave doing that beat with Jeff, me like, hey, loop that. I got a, I got a story, and then you know we had we have the story of uh, we, we've all seen the video of of Stone and Ed and on the tour bus playing uh, Brother, which became Daughter. Um, so that was obviously hanging around, but like, I wonder if they went into that thinking, hey, this is our second time around. Ed's in it, in it here we've kind of got this us versus them mentality, but we're still not totally sure of each other's um, roles, I guess you could say, because obviously I think it was the next album when Ed really became the band leader. Um, and so it, a- it was obvious God. to use those songs or to kind of hit those songs out of the gate. And so I'm not, I'm not surprised they had that lull, but I'm curious as to what, I wonder what we think Brendan might've said to them beyond just creating more um, discomfort amongst them to force creativity but whatever it was it was pretty goddamn brilliant
2: i I think the the production choices that brendan makes on this album the way that he records is really critical because lyrically it's an angry alienated album there's greater intensity to eddie's performances in a lot of ways they're they're raw they're less theatrical than the ones on 10 uh less bombastic um you know the uh uh harsher screams are starting to make an appearance that never really show up on an, an album like Ten. You know but what
0: the it was? Mu- I'm sorry. I mean, okay, I don't know yeah, if I yeah. get this. To your what you just said there, it it makes me feel like when I'm listening to a Ten song, Ed is singing to a number of people. That oh, this is this is a story. This is a point I want to make. We're listening to verses. It's almost like he sang the song, sang the lyrics with the intention of one person hearing it. I want you to hear this song. Don't go on me now. Rather be with an animal. like Things like that. That's the difference in how he sings those songs to me. I don't know if you agree with that or not.
2: No, for, for some of them, there's an intimacy that may not necessarily always be there on, on, on every track in 10. I mean, he could place it there when he wanted to, and it shows up on some songs like Release. But this does feel a little more narrow in a way. If you think about even just the way Brendan transformed a song like Flow. You know, the, uh, there's mm. the, the real open, airy, reverb-soaked a version that's, uh, that was on the album. And then there was the version from, I think, from the video that's, uh, that I believe he did, you know, that feels like it could have been a Versus song. Everything is much tighter. It's much more precise. And had Pearl Jam come in and produced Vitology uh, as their second album, that might have been a bridge too far. It's, it's too raw. It's too naked. It's too harsh whereas verses sees a lot of these lyrical themes start to bubble up and it's maybe there in Eddie's performance but the music is so clean uh, it's so precise it's so perfectly captured and they're playing the shit out of everything I mean this is you know one of their most just aggressive studio performances in terms of just everybody being totally locked in but there's also a pristine you know quality to it it's a very even the the you know, gut punch songs like Go, you, know, you can hear every note with like such perfect clarity. And I think that's maybe what, you know, bridged the accessibility of 10 and your more like insular off-putting, you know, sounds on Vitology. Like Vitalogy is a Vitology's record you have to want to be there. Uh, and you know, with a, maybe a handful of songs that are an exception, but even something like, like Better Man, the most accessible song on the album, you know, does not have the initial warmth and you know, welcome quality to its sound that daughter does or that elderly woman does. And Brendan got that everywhere for every song on the album. It's why Blood sounds fun, and Habits sounds you know dark and raw and and terrible. Not like terrible in a bad way, but like you know somebody who's like really suffering. Yeah. And Blood is playful, um, and that's that's how he captured those songs. And you know, to the initial question that started this conversation if that music wasn't there to bridge the sound and the feel of 10 with the darker places that they were going to in Vitology is just a year later. I'm not even sure if it's a full year. Um, so there's not a whole, they're clearly starting to mind that, that mental space here, those themes here. Uh, it's just presented in a way that anybody can get on board with, that you're still welcome to, you're invited to the party and if Ed is just singing to one person, as you said before, Jason, at least that one person is you. Whereas Vitology is Ed singing to himself, you know, mm-hmm. rather than to somebody else. And it's the 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 pain, the anger, the discomfort is all over the the sound of the recording of of everything on Vitology, which is sharper, rustier, you know, more abrasive. You're more likely to cut yourself on it. You know, if you get cut by anything on verses, it's it's a It's a clean wound that's not going to leave a scar.
0: Joe Pirellis of the New York Times said, most of the album projects individual misery as public catharsis. Do we agree? Yes.
2: That's a a great line. I wish I said it. (laughs)
0: Um, I actually think that's, well, to my point about the singing thing, um, I feel like that's a lot of, what you get on 10 that that public catharsis but like i feel like on 10 everyone recognizes it like oh we're all feeling this cool whereas versus seems like the headphones album it's like i need a moment i need i need this is all about me and ed talking right now he's he's talking directly to me or singing directly to me um i'm gonna give another quote here rolling stone writer paul evans um, talking about Versus, said few American bands have arrived more clearly talented than this one did with 10, and Versus tops even that. Do we agree with, with Paul here? Not this Paul, but the other Paul.
2: Well, what does this Paul think? <laughs> uh, uh,
1: uh, no. I, I, I think that Versus was an, a natural and necessary part of the evolution of the band as a group and of their sound. However, there's something so organic. 10 was lightning in a bottle Mm -hmm. on so many levels. It literally took Andy Wood's premature death, untimely death, to to even allow 10 to be birthed into existence. And so I don't believe that you can ever recapture 10, which is the irony of so many people saying, I wish they'd make 10 again, or (laughs) or how they they will reference various (laughs) albums in the Pearl Jam catalog and say, their best album since 10 or they've gone back to their roots in 10. They've never attempted to do that or have done that. <laughs> and no, so, not even close. Exactly.
2: When but, people uh, say that, what they probably mean
1: is verses, actually. You you yeah. I I think that's good point there. I don't
0: I think they probably play of like the older shit. I don't I think they play this album the least. If you were to go to like a bunch of you know the past five to eight years, if you go to um, the tours of what was played the most, um, obviously you'd have 10 up there. You'd have whatever album was on tour. I think Versus is probably in the bottom half of that. They probably play two songs a night from Versus, if that. Well, I don't, know, I, I don't thing, know why that
2: is. The thing with Verses, and this is what I think that Rolling Stone, so I agree with this Paul, not the, the other Paul. Versus sounds so good. And the songs are, are captured so well that it's easy to forget that Half of the album is full of fairly minor songs that are just performed impossibly well. Uh there are you know, depending on how you want to count, you know, 5 to 7 five-star A-list all-time classic, you know, essential songs on the record. You know, I would place it at 6, but you know, your mileage may vary. Everything mm-hmm. else on the album is an impeccably performed B-side that um, really? Does I I
1: think so. That Ooh. um with Glorify glorified G leading yeah. the way probably. Sure. <laughs> what, yeah. No, what, what and, would, and that's
2: the first one. I want to know. Hold on. I want to
0: know what those songs would be then for you.
2: So you've got songs like glorified G that don't have a whole lot to say that are kind of brash, uh, obnoxious, mean spirited in a way that even on an angry album never quite feels appropriate for the the band. I mean, great riff, but you know what is the song saying? you've got an idea like WMA that they didn't figure out how to finish. And so it's just sort of, it, it's going on for a long time, but without the kind of cathartic buildup that you would get on 10, it's like it gets stuck in a loop that they can't figure out how to, how to end. Um, something like uh, like Rats is, you know, again, another like, oh, let, let's do a funky song that we can't quite take home like, you know there's not a, a conclusion. I mean he's quoting
0: it. he's quoting Michael Jackson at the end of the song. Right. You know, so
2: like that's maybe a sign that you're you're running out of ideas or that you haven't fully figured out what it is you want to say here. Blood is a minor song. It's a it's a lot of fun, but it's it feels like a throwaway at a time when if you compare it to a song like Porch or Why Go, like you know the the quick numbers on something like 10, or Last Exit or Spin the Black Circle on um on Vitology, it's has a ferocity to it, but it also doesn't feel like there's it's saying something that's for you. You know, it, it feels like uh and and exercise in trying to write a, a funky song that that Eddie's gonna scream a bit over. Um Leash, which again has one of my favorite lyrics of you mm-hmm. know of all time from the band, and a great beginning. Um, you know, it feels like uh like it wants to be this joyous, you know, rave, you know, rave up at the end of the album. But, you know, to to spend half your song with just you know, drop the leash, get out of my fucking face. That's such a juvenile idea. On an album that's otherwise, at least on its best tracks, trying to perform some, uh, trying to address some, some serious themes. Everything on Ten had something to say. Everything on Vitology had something to say. And not everything on verses. Dissident is one of those tracks that's somewhere in the middle, you know. For me, sometimes I'd, I'd put it in there in the list of of really essential album of album tracks. But even then, it's it's not a complete thought. It's a sketch of an idea that's beautifully played. And you miss that, I think, when you or it's easy to miss that on verses because it all sounds so good. Do you and think it's all that- played so hard?
0: because this album and I'm, I'm not disagreeing with what you just said. I think for the most part, I would agree with that. Um, I find it interesting that, that this, the subject of leash is a continuation of the subject of why go. I think that's kind of interesting um, considering how, how old that song is comparatively to the other songs on the record. But because or I should say, is it then when we talk about the overall theme here, the question of, you know, is this the most defining album? Well, if you use it as a way to say, there are tons of people who will say, 10 is the best record. It's unbelievable, flawless. That's the best record." Then you will have people who will kind of thumb the nose a little bit and be like, um, "Clearly, Vitalogy is the best." As Paul would say, "It's the white album of theirs. It's 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 more mature. It's this, that, the other thing. It's got more depth to it. Yada yada yada." Well, those two albums happen within three years of each other. That in itself is a is a kind of normal amount of time between albums. But they didn't stop touring, and there was another album in between those two. On top of them figuring out the whole like us versus them, birth of no, um, figuring out that they do have the power to to, to change their fate. Um, we're heading towards Ticketmaster shit. Like because of all that, in the context of maybe it is the most defining. Because without it, you're not gonna get vitality. You don't think. I, I think the band might just go down a hill if they don't have this album in between to prop things up while they're thinking about what the next step is, which is vitalogy. I mean, is it, is it not essential because of that fact? It's a tent pole.
2: Something could be essential, I think, and necessary, and maybe it's the most necessary album mm. because it again kind of bridges the gap in those three years between those two. And I don't think you can go from tent to vitalogy, even though those are my, you know, uh, two of my top three, like, you know, favorite albums of all time. And they're both, you know, flawless if anything is flawless um you it, it's too much in between and verses introduces the the themes of 10 excuse me the themes of, of vitology while still maintaining the the musical accessibility right. of 10. and if you don't bridge that gap you probably can't get there i don't know that they can make it and i don't know that the public might have accepted it uh and the maybe the, it maybe it falls apart anyway i mean eddie was you know, so <laughs> impossible to deal with at this point. And I think he's like, you know, said as much in some of his own interviews that if Versus was not a commercial success, you know, maybe they decide it's not worth doing this anymore. You know, like, is my music striking a chord with people? You know, whereas clearly it still, it still was. So it's maybe the most important album in the career in terms of, Helping them transition into you know what Pearl Jam is going to be and training the fans to accept what Pearl Jam is, even if it's not their most important collection of songs.
1: I feel like you're going to say that. I I I, I would agree with step. I think that coming off the heels of ten, there's the proverbial sophomore slump, and Pearl Jam avoids that with this album. And and a lot of folks were wondering how could they top ten, and the fact that you actually have a contingent of the Pearl Jam fan base that thinks the band did do that. I mean, this is all subjective, by the way, so I, I don't want anyone listening or, or to, to think that I objectively am suggesting Versus is not better than 10. I don't personally think that it is. That said, though, I want to circle back to something that I think ties a lot of this together, which is the track Dissident. Stip mentioned that that was kind of straddling in between in an essential album track, and a song that is really a very well-executed B-side. So you have a song here, and this is what Eddie said about that song. He said, I'm talking about a woman who takes in someone who's being sought after by the authorities for political reasons. He's on the run and she offers him a refuge, but she just can't handle the responsibility. She turns him in and she has to live with the guilt and the realization that she's betrayed the one thing that gave her life meaning. It made her life difficult, it made her life hell, but it gave her a reason to be. But she couldn't hold on. She folded. And that's the tragedy of the song. Now, here's the thing. If this was a film and it was a successful film that was critically reviewed, the taking in of the political refugee and then losing him is act one. (laughs) I'm saying the rest of the film is about that struggle. Mm -hmm. That's because that's the story. That's what he's trying to say. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the lyrics of a song like Dissident, it really isn't until the second verse that any of this is ultimately truly alluded to. And to this day, she's glided on, always home, but so far away. Like a word misplaced, beautiful lyric there, nothing said, what a waste. But when she had contact with the conflict, there was meaning, but she sold them to the state. And then we just get the chorus again. So really only one time does that statement that, that he believes the tragedy of the song, that he actually communicates, only once does it even get stated. And I, I think that in so many ways was it's not an indictment or a lack of maturity on the part of the songwriter as much as it is. There was something so raw about 10, although there was something so personal about those songs that he wanted to say. The fact that he had to leave the recording site to figure out what to write about, to apply lyrics to songs, I think says everything about this album on, on a lot of levels. And Dissident to me is a perfect example of that, of I, I have something I want to say, and I think I've penned it, not realizing that if, if, if you could go back and do a director's cut of this song, I would imagine that he, you know, or a second go at it. I would imagine that it's, it's really that statement that I don't want to say it's lost in the track, but it's not as heavily punctuated as it needs to be. Well, I'm not saying it needs a third verse, but I, I, I think that that what makes the song compelling is only essentially the third act of the track. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it's, it's the tail end. And so, uh-huh. It isn't until vitology that we start to see everything come back full circle again, where everything that needs to be said, and, and to Stipp's point, he's singing to himself. So it's going to come across more clearly communicated, as opposed to I'm writing these narratives about being a bystander looking at the, a situation. You know what I'm saying? It's more commentary than it is introspective reality and, and uh, a personalization and an internalization of what it is that I'm seeing. This was more of a uh, bird's eye view, indirect obser- observation.
2: I like that that read, but I, I, another way to think about Dissident is, you know, similar to I think what uh, we talked about on, on the podcast once about Alive. You know, this is a song that's ostensibly has an external narrative, but is really about you know Eddie thinking about himself, and Dissident through um, this. I was really struck by this as you're going through the, the lyrics and as you uh, you were making your point that you know this is a song about your own personal integrity, having the courage of your your convictions you know when it's hard uh, or choosing the the easy out you know choosing safety over risk, choosing concession over you know confrontation um and you know that it's that struggle for authenticity for, for agency that's all over 10 and all over vitology, you know, he's, it's coming up here, it's, um, but he's not addressing it head on in the same way that he didn't address it head on at, uh, during 10, that it's, it's vitology where that happens. But I mean, there's a lot of ways dissident is really a song you know, about Eddie grappling with fame and the, the other things that um, you know, come across in vitology. Um, or elsewhere on uh, later on 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 verses and songs like Rearview Mirror and uh, Elderly Woman and Indifference, where you know Eddie is trying to see clearly, trying to convince himself that the struggles that he's engaged in are going to have meaning, even if they don't seem winnable, trying to convince himself that if he doesn't take these stands now, he will come back and regret it later. Uh, and that that's actually there in dissident as well. If you just take the political narrative as, you know, as an allegory rather than as the, the key driving idea of the song itself.
0: You know, Paul, Paul suggested that, um, maybe why there's a bit of that, what's the one I'm looking for? Like um, maybe lack of consistency um, as far as uh, the angle of each set of lyrics is because of of how uncomfortable he was in the comfortability of the confines of the site and and leaving and and trying to rack his brain to come up with the storylines. Like if it was if they had been back in Seattle or if they were in, or if he was always comfortably uncomfortable in some other studio, does do different stories come to mind? I, I want, I just wonder, I mean, that's a question really for Eddie, of course, but like, the question I'm asking you is if he had been in a situation where he was uncomfortably comfortable the entire time, does, does his train of thought come to him sooner and do, do we have a more consistent set of songs, lyrically speaking, do you think? Or is it hard to really even know?
2: You know, there's different, it's hard to, I mean, it's hard to know. There's different types of discomfort that he's grappling with during this time. You know, one of it is the the voice of the generation label where, you know, everything that you do is so, you know, fraught with, with meaning, um, you know, going to be endlessly interpreted and dissected, uh, and the pressure that comes from feeling the need to be that voice. Um, there's a, a line in an Ani DeFranco song, is like, you know, when, as she's billed in the early 90s, mid-90s, as this uh you know, feminist icon. Gosh, what's the lyric? It's something like, you know, what I happen to be wearing when somebody takes a picture becomes my new statement for all of womankind. Uh, and, and, and her frustration with that. Mm-hmm. And Eddie's there. And that's one of the things that he's grappling with. Uh, I am not as wise or as all-knowing uh, or as articulate as the world needs me to be. And that's why the, you know, I, I can't find an answer. So I have to psych myself up to keep looking is such a common theme that runs through the first three albums. It doesn't really yeah. start to shift until no code. But then there's also the fact that Eddie's heroes, or at least the ones that he was embracing right now, are the, you know, it's, it's the DIY punk people. It's the, um, you know, sleeping in your truck rather than, you know, in the comfort of a hotel room where you can, you know, put, up, up, put on a bathrobe and slippers. Those are lovely things. You're more comfortable if, you, if you're wearing those. But to do so was either betraying his roots or, you know, betraying what, you know, the you know, outsider anti-establishment, you know, rock and roll tradition that he probably started to find himself more attracted to as he a so clearly became the establishment and then was also criticized for being the establishment, is a different kind of discomfort. And so there's he's wasn't embedding himself with the musical icons and heroes during this period that could have helped him process this. You know, that comes later with people like Neil Young. Later on, Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen, you know, uh, on the the Who, uh, those weren't his touchstones. I think at this moment, and so he felt, you know, not only like he was unable to carry the burden that he was being asked to carry, but that the fact that it was even given to him at all uh, was a mistake. That he it wasn't authentically his to carry.
0: Well, to your point, I think he probably also felt he'd been kind of poor all his life, and especially since moving to San Diego area, his mom then going back to Chicago. He's by himself. He's admitted that he didn't really pay attention to high school because he had bills to pay. Like He he, he might not even thought that he was worthy of, of a comfortability like that. And so just to, to try and write stories or lyrics in that kind of um, environment might even just within himself feel fraudulent that any idea that could, come out, that could come out of this environment isn't real because this is not me. This is not how I've grown up to be. That's one idea. You mentioned some of his mentors, um, and there's another thing I want to quote here from uh, this Rolling Stone writer, Paul Evans. Like Jim Morrison and Pete Townsend, Vedder makes a forte of his psychological mythic explorations. As guitarist Stone Gossard and Mike McCready paint dense and slashing backdrops, he invites us into a drama of experiment and strife. Paul... How do you make that quote?
1: Um, the, the idea that it's an experiment of crisis, and str- I, I, I suppose, given the fact that you have narratives like daughter and and dissident in place, uh, it, it, it's it's hard for me to articulate the nature of of his vocal performance. Mostly because I think the positions continue to vary, and they don't. The, he vacillates between. I have something to say to on one end of the pendulum and then on the other side, I don't really have anything to say. So I'm going to say something, but it's, it's carefully crafted. It's not like I'm just saying something to say something. Uh, Case in point, it's all like rats. I mean, there's, there's a theme that runs through this five against one theme all the way through the album. But I also think that uh, we get shades of what we will later see later on. Song like Indifference, for example, I think you see a lot of that type of struggle on an album like Yield, where they're starting to question how much, you know, what's the point of continuing to fight, just kind of letting go. But I, I do think that there's something about the way that the band managed to come together in a way that was combustible, that somehow... The recording ended just in time for for them to get through this album, but we we see the ramifications of it over the next two albums, though. Yeah, and, and Step was talking about you know uh,
0: that Ani DeFranco line. I think for me, at least, That's the corduroy the, jacket
1: in a lot of ways. I was just going to say Ed, right? that I that's mean, he
0: finally gets it out, um, or or, or yeah. learns, or accepts that he can make that statement or feel comfortable making that statement um, an album later. But to kind of circle back to the original point, um, I think, is it the defining album? I think we all agree that it's not the defining album. But, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, we would say that it was a very necessary album because of how it bridged two minds, this visceral, um, aggressive, uh, uh, I always say, you know, the band listening to you by, by singing and performing at you kind of motif versus a little bit more mature introspective um more dynamic um from a intellectual and emotional standpoint maybe um or more confident in in their own skin kind of thing on on vitalogy but we needed to have this this album in between to bridge those two worlds would you guys agree with all that i
2: do i would yeah it it's a necessary album it's maybe the most necessary album uh, because after a certain point They've proven themselves enough that, um, you know, there's always the risk that you're going to break up and that maybe an album like No Code is is necessary, but it's also not doing anything that's super appreciably different than Phytology, you know, in terms of just not giving people what they expect, um, mm. being a little bit more difficult to listen to than some of the other ones that had maybe come before. You know, there's some some new themes in it um, versus set the, it helped them bridge those gaps between, um, the, the bombast, uh, and sort of outward, you know, uh, let's all come in and do this together in nature of 10 and the, the darker, raw, more introspective feel of itology, you know, lyrically it's got that darkness, but musically it still has its roots in, you know, big open, uh, songs that, promise you clarity and it trained fans to accept that pearl jam was an idea and maybe a voice but it wasn't just 10
0: i think that says it perfectly uh there you go guys uh, that was our semi-brief conversation on, on verses. let us know yeah. what you think what, what, is this the most defining or is this most necessary, or is it neither? Um, I, I think we could have got another hour in this, but uh, I want to put a pin in it there and I'm sure we can pick it up another time from a different perspective. But right now, we gotta get to our lyric of the week. <laughs> Guys, lyric of the week this week, obviously, coming from Verses, and we're we're gonna do go. Once passing survival, a moving on so sweet
1: all
0: right step i'm gonna start with you this time around this is the second verse from go what do you what do you make of this it's not about his pickup truck is it
1: yeah
2: <laughs> uh you know it, it's every time eddie says this song is about this external thing i, I I think he's full of shit, um, yes. or I hope he's wrong anyway. Um, it, Go is, it, it's such an interestingly structured song, because you get the two verses before you get any of the choruses. Um, you, and it's such a, a clenched up, intense, you know, like sort of spiraling corkscrew of a song that the lyrics almost don't matter. Um, I've, it's always struck me as a, a companion piece to, to Animal, where it's, it's you know, Go feels like a song about being an abuser and regretting it. And you see that in, um, in some of the, the lyrics here, like, you know, the, the recognition, like, oh, my God, what have I done? In the way that Animal almost gives you the exact same experience from the perspective of the, of the abused. But in both songs, the abuser and abused are kind of collapsed into each other. You know, they're both diminished by whatever's happening to them, and they're raging against it. They don't know how to how to process it. And the lyrics capture that feeling. Uh, they the panic, the the regret, the the terror, the guilt. Um, you know, that's all there. And it, but it is one of those uh rare Pearl Jam songs where he could be singing anything, and it almost doesn't matter because the, the vocal performance and the music is what's doing the heavy lifting here.
1: Paul, do you agree? Look, you listen to the first verse, and it's absolutely about his pickup truck. That's a compelling <laughs> argument. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of pickup truck is the but, real but question? Here's the thing. Let's just hypothetically say it was. If, if he's driving that truck over the bridge into the city because he can't find lyrics to songs, that was by extension, a vehicle for which he needed Literally. in order to to find the words for this album in a lot of ways. And this idea that at any given point in time maybe it w- it, it w- wouldn't start for him, I, I had no doubt there's a level of panic there, especially given the pressure that this album presented on every member of the band, notably him. So if it wasn't about a pickup truck on the surface, he may not be full of shit, but he may not. Realize the, the 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 gravity and the undertones associated with that. Okay, it's that, not, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but but that that being said, though, I think in in a lot of ways, this uh, this entire album is very much about uh, their trouble with, with fame and, and how they were very much kind of this this reserved, um, unassuming group of guys that were caught up in this whirlwind that was the the, the, the supernova of ten and i think this album just it comes out swinging with a song Light go and it immediately s- sets the tone for everything that we're going to see moving forward from these guys for the rest of uh, the, the next couple of albums i think with this and vitalogy in terms of just a blistering uh, level of rock without so much atmosphere that it's a great name for an there. album blistering level of rock <laughs> uh so for me, is it about the pickup truck? I don't know. The, the set of, of lyrics that you chose, I find interesting because oh, you good. picked the, well, I, I did because you picked the second verse, actually. And, and this is the one that obviously hints at something far deeper here, which, which really piggybacks yeah. off what Stip was talking about. This idea that you're, you've become fastened to this identity, that whether you, you identify with it or not, it's irrelevant. You're now servile to it. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's moving quickly. And you know, I, I like the idea you pull the covers over him. Cause if you look at the single for go, it's this, this image of, I am assuming it's Eddie, but it's this figure with this, I believe a clown mask on and it's painted red basically. And it's somewhat out of focus. It's semi out of focus. It's moving quickly to an extent. And this mm. idea that you're, you're a clown now, you know, you, you become a servant to your success and you're a clown, and, and to quote Kurt Cobain on In Utero, serve the servants, you know what I mean? Like, you like, you really don't know who you are anymore, and you're just kind of trying to figure out It's five against one. But Stone was on record as saying that it, the album is just as much about each band member trying to find what it means to compromise with each other. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's, a, it, it's a layered song, but to Stip's point, it, the music itself was the statement that was being made about who Pearl Jam was and what what we were going to be getting from these guys moving forward, more so than anything lyrically present in this track. I, I 100% agree. I, th- I think
0: that the music and the performance is what carries this thing. Um, it almost doesn't matter what the, what the lyrics are. That said, um, having to, I love this section of the, of the show because I, it always forces me to re-dive into something that I maybe have just kind of glossed over and just, I'm so used to just singing it at concerts <laughs> or to myself in the car that I don't really think about what I'm singing. Um, like, for example, I didn't recognize that the shades uh, raising in rearview mirror is basically a button to the shades going down in mm-hmm. daughter until like yep. last year. Like, how stupid am I not to notice that? Um, when I see this song or I see these lyrics, um, I see, you know, a, a, a servant or a slave, you know, the, the, the attachment, um, the, the subject here used to be this way, but not anymore. And and, and now they're wise to the abuse they were receiving. And what's interesting to me about this is that um, I take the use of the pronoun your as the subject talking to themselves, like hyping themselves up to grow in confidence to do what they need to do. And that is escaping, of course. Mm -hmm. And the subject has learned basically to play along as if they enjoy the abuse to, as Ed writes, disarm their attacker into a false sense of security. They're evolving and thank God for that. But the subject clearly shares a bed with their abuser. Obviously, if I'm going to go literal here, pull the covers over him. I, I when I read this, or I'm sorry, when I hear this and I read the lyrics, I kind of see them not so dissimilar from Better Man subject. You know, pull the covers over him um, uh, in bed with the with the person who's fucking them over or 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 abusing them. You know, they continue to play along by tucking them back into bed as they leave it, but man, they should probably just call 911 instead. But at any rate, you know, one last look as they leave the room. And again, trying to summon some confidence um reminds them that their abuser is a fool, that they're not to be worshipped. Fuck them. And that's what carries them into the into this um this strength out of the room. I know that's a little bit it's a little bit more on the nose than than normal, but I'm trying to think of just a different way to look at it because I know he's so often trying to be really poetic, but at the same time, sometimes maybe he's not, and it, it could fall in two worlds. But I really thought the interesting thing there was the was that was that pronoun of your and, and that talking to themselves versus talking outwardly.
2: I'm gonna. This is similar to what you said, Jason. This is a song that I've historically allowed myself to not have to think about too closely. Yeah, uh, the lyrics are are very vague. There's a number of them, like the stuff that he just Eddie is just you know screaming. Dude, at, yeah, like whatever, yeah. and I, you know whatever whatever that is, and it's I don't have total confidence or whatever appears on yeah. the the official website. I wonder, based on the conversations we had, and I hadn't thought about the uh, single cover until you guys brought it up as well. I wonder if this is mostly just about him, if this if the the two people that are either in dialogue or have some kind of relationship with each other in. This song is the authentic person that he wants to be and the person that he feels he's being forced to be hmm. um, i I'd need to sleep on that and, and, and play that over a little bit, but I think that works um, this is you know like lines like I pulled the covers you know over him, you know it's like saying goodbye to you know, like his his private personal self as you know embraces a, a public persona that the nemesis that he's turning to is maybe that that same persona, um, you know, that is not up to shouldering or carrying the weight that's being you know asked of him, you know, who doesn't have wisdom to give, who shouldn't be listened to, and just like the the existential panic of not being uh, up for what's being asked of you, what you're being asked to perform, the person that you're, the role you're being asked to play, the person that you're being asked to be.
0: That's a very interesting way to think about it, and yeah. we're going to let you all think about that uh, cool. a little bit more and stew on that.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I may, I may disown it tomorrow, but it's, extra, it,
0: but it. <laughs> well, we've recorded it, it, so it's out there. Forever. Come to
2: me during this. Yep, I guess it's out there, and I'm not coming back tomorrow to do a post-group, <laughs> so I guess I'm stuck with it now.
0: Here's the addendum no uh we will go now to our live cut of the week ready to stand up (music) Paul, live cut this week go going back to the early 90s where where are we going
1: we're going to vegas vegas baby We are. Uh, you know, they didn't play Vegas uh, for their, their Supernova 10 album tour. Uh, when they finally got there, Eddie had mentioned to the crowd, we finally made it to Vegas. Believe me, you were worth waiting for. They hadn't been to Vegas often since, to be quite honest with you. I think it wasn't until like 2000, 2001 that they ever the made it back. Show. But mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it, what, what what's interesting about this this show is at the time, this particular venue, the, the Aladdin Theater for Performing Arts, uh, it was... This year, 1993, I was reading this from, from Las Vegas Weekly. They said that it was one of the most memorable years for shows at this mid-sized venue. They had uh, Radiohead played there, Tears for Fears, uh, Soul Asylum actually threw away their set list and played a 60s pop song set list instead. And there's just a, a ton of these just raucous memories. And so Pearl Jam comes through and they got these little, little uh, basketball action figures that they line up. For some reason, I don't know why, but that they just lined them up on the tops of their amps, and and you you could see there was something about trying to just hold on to who to, to, to define their identity. It's almost like a child bringing a stuffed animal with him to, to <laughs> nursery school, and uh, I, I don't mean that in any. What were those way, called
0: back in it, the day? The, those little sports figurines. Oh God! Uh, starting, starting, starting,
1: starting up or something. Started something
2: like that. amazing. I had a couple of those. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah so you know they go and they do this show and the acoustics were impeccable at this particular venue and so it's a great show it's a blistering rock show (laughs) and it's the vault number five show so obviously the band feels the same way i just think it's it's the best recording of go from this era that you'll hear all
0: right let's head to las vegas nevada november 30th 1993. i Don't want me now. I'm swimming in the middle of the blade. Just start of it
1: now. Suppose I abused you. Just passing it on. What's Fuck. What lessons have I all? Making Moving on so swiftly we a song I pulled the devil away
0: There you go um god damn that that is a a raucous version of a raucous song at the time it needs to be played um at a legendary show as per the band so hard to get that one wrong uh there's the show you guys uh thank you for listening thank you to step for coming on once again
2: thank you as always
0: somehow we uh we played um we played battleship with, with our children freaking out so you know, I hear my kids screaming. I know Paul had to go handle one of his kids during this show. I, I
1: literally pulled an Eddie Vedder on Letterman. I came, I sang a verse of Black, and mm-hmm. I just left. I literally Eddie, left you go? To, to put my yeah, kid know There was just, just a, like,
2: a note in Zoom. It's like, <laughs> is, is he coming back?
1: <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's it's like I'm, I'm going to bring in himself. some Andy DeFranco at this point. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'm just
2: going to start talking because I don't know when he's coming back. <laughs> Guys, thank
0: you for listening. Again, please um, follow us on social media Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and uh, give us a subscription. A subscription? A subscribe? I guess that would be the right thing to say. Just feed the algorithm.
1: Just feed it. It's hungry, feed it.
0: There you go. Uh, We will see you next time. And until you do, you've been listening to The
1: State of Love and Trust.